You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. How do you identify yourself? How would you answer that question? Maybe, maybe it's how you'd answer these questions. Who am I really? What identifies me as a follower of Jesus or someone in this life? What is my purpose that the Lord in heaven has given me? Why was I created? Maybe for you, there's probably a moment in your life when you've asked one of those questions. You hear the stories of the backpacker through Europe to go find him or herself, right? You may have a friend who's actively seeking this question. Maybe you're walking through that with her right now and they're, they're seeking this answer to their identity and struggling to find that answer. Maybe for you, you just got fired recently or laid off from a job and you're in the midst of what feels like a midlife crisis in your life. Maybe the marriage that you thought was gonna be forever just crumbled at your fingertips and you're left asking some really, really hard questions. We're jumping in today. Have you figured that out? Seeking our identity can show itself in a lot of different ways. Some are subtle and and linked to doubts and questions that we have bouncing around in our heads every day. Many people that I see, that I talk to in my office will, will stop at nothing to be noticed. You don't have to look very far on social media or the internet or the news that people just wanna be seen They want to be set apart. And many times I believe the question that lies beneath the surface in that conversation is, who am I? Where does my identity lie? And let's be really honest with ourselves for a second. Many of us sitting in this room, in a room this size, and many more watching online are asking that question in some form or fashion. I've been processing this for over a year I wrote this message over a year ago, and, and as I, I look at it, I am just blown away how it permeate, permeates our culture, our society, our churches, our schools, our families. But at the same time, it should come to, as no surprise. We're asking, why am I here? And it's been a question that's been asked since the beginning of time. I bet many of you can go back to a time in your life where you've seen a name tag on a table that looks like this right, and it looks orange up there, but sometimes maybe it's red or blue or black and it's sitting on a white folding table as you walk into maybe a group therapy session or a Bible study or a business meeting and you get that out and you write, what do you write on that? It's like, Brett, let's not overthink this. I write my name, (laughs) right? But what if I said, besides your name, what is the first thing that you would write? Besides your name. What is it? I think most of us would quickly write something regarding what we do every day, maybe where we spend the most of our time in our job. Maybe it's for you, I'm a teacher, or I'm a truck driver, or I'm a small business owner, I'm a student. Maybe you make auto parts in a factory, or you work in the HVAC repair industry, or you're a manager of people. For others, maybe it's not about what you do, but it's about a significant relationship in your life or a role that you play, like a dad or a mom or a wife or a husband or a grandpa or a grandma, or maybe you own 
that you don't have a significant relationship in your life and you would write, I'm single, right? Hey, it may work. I don't know. <laughs> For some, maybe, maybe your sexuality is what identifies you. Maybe it's an adverse experience that you've, you've experienced some hard thing in your life and you're, you would say, I'm a cancer survivor or I'm an alcoholic or I'm a widow or I'm divorced. Or maybe you would just go right to your passion. I'm a golfer. I'm a runner. I don't know why y'all do that. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a gamer. I'm an American. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I think I've hit everybody in the room, right? And so I found some research, and there's honestly not a whole lot of recent research, but I found this. It goes back to 2019. It's from Lifeway Research, and they, they asked some of these same questions. And if you pull it up on the screen. So the first question they asked among Americans was just their view, view on identity. What I do determines who I am. 42% said, that's, that's me. Who I am determines what I do. 42% said, that's me. And 15% said, not sure. So what I gained from this research is that we have no idea. <laughs> right? Half of us think one thing, half of us think the other. The other everybody that's left is like, I don't know. Then they asked, they went a little bit deeper and pulled up the next slide. And so you, it's hard to see right there, but I'll explain this. So they, they, basically this is 15 groups, right? You can see it up on the screen. And they asked things like 73% said the top markers of their identity was my role in my family or the good I do or what I've endured in my life, my interests or hobbies, my religious faith was 37%. My job actually came in surprisingly low at 32%, all the way down to my country of birth, my political views, my ethnic group, my sexuality. And so you see where people are, are placing their identity, right? They're finding it somewhere. So what would you write? I want you to be thinking about that today. How would you identify yourself? In the book, Not a Fan by Kyle Adaman, he's the lead pastor at Southeast Christian Church down in Louisville. He speaks to this identity issue and he actually speaks to this exercise and he says this in his book, whatever word you write in that blank has significant power over your life because everything flows from what we would identify as core to our identity. We have a tendency to focus heavily on behavior and not say much about identity. Let's roll that back one more time. We have a tendency to focus heavily on behavior and not say much about identity. And I think this is why it's really important to look at scripture, and especially the gospels, the, the whole New Testament speaks to this. The New Testament, that's the second half of your Bible. And we talk so much about this as we, as we look at the life of Jesus. And I wanna look at the story of Luke. We're gonna be in Luke three again today, and uh, as we continue this back to the basic series. And I believe that a moment in time in Luke three speaks so much to this idea of identity. Early in Luke three, we get to know John the Baptist. Matt talked about that last week. John had one job, and that was to lead the way for Jesus. The Messiah was coming, and John was preparing the way, and John the Baptist was a guy that understood who he was and where his identity lied. He understood what he was supposed to do. We see it here, Luke 3, verse 16, the last half of verse 16, it says, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. This is John the Baptist speaking so much greater that, that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. So up until this point in scripture, 
John has been talking about repentance, just like we talked about last week, and the importance of turning to God and confessing our sin to God. And we get some more insight into this moment if we flip back two books to Matthew. Matthew 3, in verse 13, says this. This is, this is some insight we don't have in Luke. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. Like, you're, why are you talking, trying to talk Jesus out of anything, right? But don't we do that every day? I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus replies with such patience. He says, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agrees to baptize him. See, it's important to realize that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. I think sometimes we forget that, right? We forget the 100% man part. It's easy to remember the 100% God part. He had a God, Jesus had a God card in his back pocket that he could have played at any time to get him out of any situation to answer any question and he never played it. He was 100% man, which meant he feels all the things we feel, our insecurities, the questions. He cries out to his God, the Father, sitting on the cross. And you see, Jesus in all of his humanity says to John the Baptist, God requires it. So I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna model it for my people for centuries to come. Yes, he was 100% God, he lived a perfect life, but he endured all the temptation that we endure. Even in that temptation, he chooses to do what God requires every time, and so John agrees to baptize him. And what an incredibly humbling moment that must have been for John the Baptist. But then again, humility comes really easy for those who know where their identity lies. So we see, pick it up in Luke 3, jump into verse 21. It says this, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. It doesn't feel like I have the words or any human has the words for this moment. The Son of God is being baptized. He's baptized in the Jordan River. He comes up out of the water. And in my mind, it's like, that, it's like the world had to stop, right? The world had to stand still. The heavens open up. And I picture it like a moment, like Jesus coming up out of the water and he's looking up to his father. It's a moment like any other. And I don't know, nobody really knows what that moment looks like. All that we know is that then the Holy Spirit comes and it descends on a dove and settles upon him. And I love that description because I've been dove hunting and doves never settled for me. I'm not, I'm not the best hunter. It's like golf. Like I, I enjoy it, but I don't really know why I do it when I'm out there. But, when, but, but we see that this dove, the Holy Spirit in form of a dove comes and settles on Jesus. And here's what's beautiful about this moment is that I believe the father knew exactly what Jesus needed in this moment because he knows his son. And here it comes at the very end of verse 22 in chapter three, it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is God speaking, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. My dearly loved son who brings me great joy. 
There's a couple other translations that I, that I looked up that I have, and I have on the screen. The first one is the New English translation or the New English version. And it says, you are my one dear son. In you, I take great delight. Hear those words. That's your father speaking. In the message translation, it says this. You are my son chosen and marked by my love, the pride of my life. And so my paraphrase is God looks at his only son and he says, I love you and I'm proud of you. When I was in the Dominican Republic a, a few years ago, uh, I, you know, I get to travel in my job and, and see partners and, and meet missionaries. And one of the, my favorite things to do when I'm on trips like that is uh, you spend a lot of time in vans and buses. You're always going somewhere, it seems like, right? And so, and I, I've learned to take advantage of these moments, right? Because you, you don't, you, you get limited time with these missionaries and honestly, they're pouring their lives out all the time. And so I got, when I was in the DR last time, it was about 18 months ago, I met a guy named William and he was our driver, but he was so much more than our driver. As I began to ask questions, I began to learn that William had been doing prison ministry in the DR for 10 years. William was a pastor, he was a missionary, he was going into some of the hardest, harshest prisons you have ever seen. And he told me as I'm talking to him that, that there was 26,000 Dominican men in prison at the time that, that I was talking to him. And over the last 10 years, they had baptized 2,700 of those 26,000. That's 10%, one man and a few people that he had recruited to do ministry. Yeah, you, I mean, that's incredible, right? And I asked William, I said, how in the world did you do that? Like, I mean, yes, it's 10 years, but that's an incredible number. And, you, and, it's, and it's men that probably aren't just open to the gospel. These are hard men that have lived hard lives. And he said, he told me this, is he got to know the stories of these men. And he, he heard them. He saw a pattern in their life that there was something woven throughout almost every one of their stories. And it was simply this that from birth, these men had never heard the words, I love you and I'm proud of you, never. And so he began, as he began to hear these stories, over the 10 years, they developed this curriculum. It was only 10 weeks. They would go into a prison when they got invited. They would start a 10-week program. They would meet with them for an hour or two, once a week for 10 weeks. And at the beginning of this, this hour or two long meeting, they would have all the men in the room stand up you can imagine how this goes week one, right? I mean, this guy's still sitting down. Like, who is this guy? I don't even know him. And it, but it gets even better. He would have them pair up and get face to face. Okay, I don't know how close, but you know, here. Okay, and he would have them look each other in the eye and say to the other person, "I love you and I'm proud of you." And William said, "You can imagine how this goes the first couple weeks." Right? I mean, you, can, you guys think I'm about to do it to you, but we're not gonna do that today, okay? But the first couple of weeks, it's, it's really, really hard. But he said, without fail, in every prison that they've gone in, by week 10, the men are eagerly awaiting that moment, and they stand up without being asked, and they look at each other, and they've usually developed a relationship with the person that they're saying this to every 10 weeks, and they do it, and by the end, it's ending with hugs and tears, and William is crying as he's telling me this story. They look at each other and they say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And that model is transforming the lives 
of men in the DR, even to this day. But let's be real for a second, okay? So if it's as easy as me looking at you and saying, hey, Jesus loves you and he's proud of you, now go do better. Like we would all, like, okay, all right, church is over, let's go, let's go do our thing. But, but that's not how life works, right? Life happens, life gets in the way, our habits and our hangups get in the way. Sometimes the hindrance is actually accepting Jesus' transforming grace and love. I know for me, that was, a, that was a long, long journey in my life. I didn't really want to accept the grace that Jesus had. It was a long path for me and truly allowing ourselves to be transformed from the inside out is really hard and it, and it sometimes isn't always about us. Sometimes it has to do with what others has, have spoken into our lives, both positively and negatively. Kyle in, this, in his book calls this the early information factor. What we were told early in our life carries a ton of weight throughout the rest of our life. And I would imagine if you stop, you can think of a moment when somebody in your life, positive or negative, said, you are fill in the blank. You are just like your brother. That's probably not a positive one that we heard, right? <laughs> you will never amount to anything just like fill in the blank. The early information factor. And there's a story in the book, and, it, and it, you can follow along. It says this, Kyle shares this story. After church one weekend, I was talking to a fairly successful business guy in his mid-40s. He told me he had been struggling, struggling lately with feelings of failure. We talked for a few minutes about where those feelings were coming from. I finally said to him, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyone who looked at your life from the outside would say that you were a success. And without pausing to think, he added, anyone except my dad. And it turns out that early and often his dad had conveyed the message that you are a disappointment. You are never gonna be good enough. You are never gonna be successful. All these years later, that's still who he sees when he looks in the mirror. These words are so powerful. A CEO who feels like a failure. But maybe for you, it's not your past. Maybe for you, it's your success. And here's what I mean. Your identity is wrapped up in the points you score in the trophies on the shelf, in the diplomas you've earned, in the portfolio you build, in the stuff that you accumulate. It's focused on achievement. That's my story. I'm an Enneagram three, I'm an achiever. I want to win. I want, I'm an achievement junkie. In my flesh, I want to impress those and I want people to know that, that, that to be impressed by me. In a pickup basketball game, if I'm on your team, you will love me. If I'm not, you will despise me. That's how it works. Philippians 3, seven through nine was life-changing in my life around this achievement thing. Look at these words from Paul. It says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What things, the things I'm just, I just talked about. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become with him. Counting it all as garbage. All that stuff. All the things we spend so much time thinking about. So when you boil it all down, friends, this is... This is the bottom line for today. When your identity is rooted in Jesus, 
it transforms you. It can't help but transform you. All of you. I'm not talking about your religion. I'm not talking about a set of rules or check boxes. I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about truly and fully understanding your identity is foundationally in Jesus. Nothing else. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. Everything else comes after. And this is where I think most of us, including myself, get this out of order sometimes. We say we want to provide for our family and then we pour 100% of ourselves into our job and then before we know it, our identity has become our job. We live a life of loneliness and we say that we'll do anything to not feel lonely again and then our marriage becomes our identity. That's not how God intended it. We remember that I never achieved, achieved the things that I wanted as a kid and then our kids and their success become our identity. I just spent the weekend in a gym full of basketball players and this is fully on display for you and I. None of these things are bad. They're just in the wrong order. They're not prioritized like they should be. And what I love what you see in Luke 3 is that God the Father knew exactly what his son needed. See, God knew his son's story and he knew what was about to happen. He knew what Jesus was about to endure. If you fast forward in Luke, and Matt will walk through these in the next few weeks and some of these stories, but he was about to begin to spend his ministry spending 40 days in the desert being tempted by Satan himself. 40 days of temptation and dark thoughts and insecurities being thrown at him in every turn. He would be battling his literal demons that were seeking to destroy him and light a match to all that God had intended to do through him. Enemies were circling on every side and God knows in this moment exactly what his son needs. He needed a reminder. Jesus needed to hear clearly from his father that his father loves him and is proud of him. And the most beautiful thing about this timing in Jesus' baptism and when God says this to Jesus is that in his life on earth, in his ministry up until this point, Jesus had done basically nothing except spend time in the temple with his father. He wasn't a successful CEO. He hadn't graduated valedictorian. At this point, he wasn't even a well-known preacher. He hadn't given a sermon. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't even discipled anyone that we know of in scripture. But yet God looks at him and says, I love you. You are my dearly loved son, and I'm so proud of you. And we can be quick to say things like, well, he was Jesus and God was his father. And yes, that is true. But that same father wants to have that same relationship with you that he has with his son. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came. That's why we do this thing called church is because many of you walked in with some of that baggage. And so, so you, you can have what Jesus had. But here's what we have to do. We have to learn to place our identity in Jesus and not our behavior. We must fully understand and internalize what that means and what Luke 3 means for us. We have to sit with it. We gotta process it. You gotta, you gotta overlay it with your life and say, okay, 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 it's not my behavior. That's what I've been taught my whole life. 
How does this un unwrap and unravel all the things that I've been taught? And how do I approach this life in a new identity that's actually rooted in Jesus? And somebody in this room needs to hear this message today. I, I believe that with all my heart. No matter what the world, your workplace, your spouse, your kids, your dad, or your mom have told you, you have a father who loves you dearly. You have a father who is incredibly proud of you, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done for you. God wants to take the name or that thing that you would write on that name tag, the way you would identify yourself, and he wants to transform it. He wants to give you a new name and a new purpose, his purpose for your life. And that purpose starts often, almost always, with confession and repentance and then baptism. So for those of you in this room that have not given your life to Jesus, I'm talking to you right now. Maybe you're at the men's retreat this weekend, you were challenged and, and maybe you're new to church and we're so glad you're here but it, but it starts with a transformation of your heart. And it often starts with confessing your own sin in your own life or, your, or confessing that honestly, it's, it's rooted in the fact that, that you can't do it on your own. And then you repent and you turn 180 degrees away from that lifestyle that maybe you've lived, away from the identity that maybe you've carried up until now. And then that leads you nowhere else but to the waters in the baptismal. And you go into that watery grave and you come up a new person. That's where it starts. And I, and I wanna encourage you to fight the inner struggle and that inner voice that I believe comes in this moment. I don't want to, you don't wanna fully accept what it means to have a Father God who loves you like that. It's hard. It's really hard if you haven't experienced a love like that from your Father. In a room this size and many more watching, your relationship with your father lands all over the place in this room. You may not know your father, or maybe that relationship has been strained most of your adult life. You may have never heard the words just like those men in the Dominican prison, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I'm sorry for that, I really am. But what happens is that we take our own brokenness our own hard and messy relationships with our own father or parents, and we go try to be a parent, and it's hard. And we keep trying, and we keep trying. We try harder, and we keep coming up short. Nothing seems to work, or it works for a while, and then we find ourselves caught by that same vice or that same inner voice that we listen to, and then we still use the same harsh words, or we still have that same short fuse, that is me, that we have always had. We try to change by pouring ourselves into our job or our kids or our home. We may try to dim reality with an addiction of some kind and we may exalt ourselves because we think that will lead to change when it will actually make that person in our life tell us that they are proud of us, but, but you can't make people do that. And honestly, the real freedom in that, that is not having to hear that from that person at all because you know you've heard it from the Savior in heaven. He is saying that I have loved you from the moment you were created. I know how many hairs are on your head. I know what is going on in your heart. I know your frustrations, but I also know what makes your heart come alive. I know your hangups and your habits, and you're not hiding them from anyone. 
I love you and I'm proud of you because I made you. You are mine and I chose you and I delight in you as the scripture says. Let that sink in. The creator of the world delights in you. And all the people in this room, he delights in you individually. He knows you even when the world doesn't. Not based on your behavior or your track record. Not dependent on your sales numbers. God felt that way before any of that. But oftentimes I think as human beings and as the, you know, the, most, the best intentions of a follower of Jesus, we put on this like front. We do it in church, we do it in our family, we do it at work. And I came across this, this uh, illustration that was just so powerful for me and I hope, it, I hope it speaks to you. So do you know that when, you know, I live out in the country and so when there's a clear night, I can look up at the sky and I can see, I can see the stars, they're beautiful, and I, oftentimes I can see the moon if it's out. Do you know that when we see the moon, we always see only one side of the moon and it's the front side, the man in the moon, if you will. It's the, it's the pretty side of the moon. And because of this, scientists have always been intrigued and wanted to find out more about the other side, the back side of the moon. Let's just laugh together that I just said that on stage. <laughs> Okay, because I'm gonna say it again, okay? And so let's just move past that, all right? But the, the backside of the moon has what they found they were blown away with. It has craters, it's marred, it's scarred. It has, it looks, I mean, it looks nothing like the front side. And you see the backside, the moon's, one of the moon's purposes is to protect the earth. And so the backside takes all the meteors and space junk that is coming at it. Okay, I don't know if that's a thing. Don't go look that up. But, that, but you get the point that, that the backside of the moon is, is protecting the earth, right? Mark Twain said, everyone is a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. And the beauty is when Jesus came to transform us, he didn't just come for the front side. He came to transform all of you. And here's the thing about his transformation is that he doesn't, he doesn't bring something back to its original state. He, he transforms us into something that we never thought was possible. He wants to do that for you. He wants to transform your complete story. All the junk that you hide and bury, all the shame and the guilt, he came to transform it all. And here, now I'm speaking to the people in the room that have followed Jesus for two days or two weeks or two decades. If you want to begin to lead from a transformed heart and mind, it starts with making Jesus a part of your everyday. And I stand before you, not as some perfect pastor who's, who gets up at 6 a.m. every day and opens this. I do it most of the time but I'm not perfect and we're not asking for perfection, but if it's been a while since you opened this book and let it speak life into you, then I encourage you, it's gotta be part of your everyday. It can't just be a Sunday thing. You can't just rely on Matt to bring the word even though he does an incredible job of it. It's gotta be personal for you and for me. And here's the thing about this book. It's unlike any other book. It's like this 
personal reflection mirror. You can't approach this, the word of God with an open heart and an open mind and stay the same. It's impossible. If you approach this with an open heart and an open mind, it's gonna reflect back on you and you're gonna see, you're gonna see your shortcomings, but you're also gonna see your hope, the hope that is there in Jesus. You're gonna learn how to live this life. You're gonna learn how to be a better mother or father or grandpa or grandma or employee or employer. It will transform your life. And so do you understand, church, the power and influence that you wield if you submit your identity to Jesus? I imagine in the room this size, if we begin to, to lead from that power from the Holy Spirit inside of us and not our own power, I believe we can change the world. If you truly understood how you're loved, that you've been chosen, that you've been marked by God's love, that you have a father who delights in you, you've probably tried to talk yourself out of that in this message. And based on that response, I believe that's true. Do you all understand the power that your identity holds over you, what it holds you back from, how it fuels the insecurity in you? You have a father who delights in you before you did anything. And here's the power, it's, it's illustrated so clearly in 1 Corinthians 5, 17. And then we're gonna close and we're gonna sing our hearts out. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Once you, amen, once you meet Jesus, you are made new. And the story starts there. Almost every person that, that, I, that I see get baptized, we're praying backstage. I share with them at some point that this is the beginning, not the end. Because sometimes I think people are coming in into that conversation and they don't, they don't really know how to feel about it. And it's like, no, God is writing your story right now. And, and he's got so much more to write. You're turning a new chapter. But here's what you need to understand. God doesn't make mistakes. Somebody sitting in this room needs to hear that right now. God doesn't do that. Not ever. God's whispering to you through all that you've walked through, I still love you. And I'm so proud of you. What if we were to believe that and live it out, church? What would you write on that name tag? I pray that it's something at the end of this message maybe different than what it would have been at the beginning. Because I believe that answer changes marriages. I believe that answer changes families. It changes churches. It changes communities. And may our church and community change because we are a people that we know our identity is rooted firmly in Jesus. We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing a song that speaks to the heart of this message. And I'm gonna ask after I pray that you stand up and you sing it with all that you have. And take the heart the words of this song to heart and let God begin to transform your identity 
Let's pray. God, I know a message like this lands all over the place in this room. God, some people in this room battled this years ago, and maybe, God, this message is meant to just be a reminder of that battle. God, some people in this room, they don't even, they don't even know who you are, and they maybe have walked in the room skeptical, and that's okay. God, I pray that you answer their questions today. God, I pray that they begin to know where their identity lies. God, I pray that they understand the importance of confession and repentance and why that leads to baptism and why that's a landmark changing moment in our lives. God, if there's somebody in this room wrestling with that, God, I pray that they don't wait another day. God, may they come forward during the song or afterwards, talk to our connect team, talk to our pastors, God, and and have a conversation on what that looks like. God, for those in this room that have followed Jesus for a while, maybe a few months, a few years, a few decades, God, God, challenge them. Renew their identity in you. Remind them where their identity lies. That it's not in ourselves, it's not in what we do, it's not what, where, what country we were born in. God, it is in you. And I know that might make some people mad and I'm okay with that. It's in you. And when we realize that, it transforms everything. God, transform hearts in this room today. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.